Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Ross Martin and Greg Barnes. A little off-season football. Well, still spring practice, I guess. Not a ton coming out of spring practice from North Carolina, but guys, pro day was earlier in the week in Chapel Hill. And I want to break that down a little bit, get y'all's thoughts on individuals. But Ross, I'll start with you. Just a general overview. Uh, They've had several of these over the last few years. So your thoughts on this one as maybe it compared to others. Yeah, I mean, obviously a lot less hype than last season and of pro days of yesteryear. Um, You know, really the the main guy was MJ Stewart and, and Andre Smith, the two guys that got invited to um the the NFL combine in Indianapolis so I mean the focus was on those two guys and see what they could do of course you had um a bunch of other former players and even Nick Wheeler who who was on the uh, 2016 team was there um you know not much fanfare you know you didn't see any head coaches or general managers just your normal run-of-the-mill scouts a little chilly uh morning on Tuesday um and typical media was there as well and Fedora came out and couple position coaches but um yeah i mean it wasn't it wasn't nothing too crazy and you would expect that mj stewart gets drafted pretty high and then maybe andre stewart has a chance and, and maybe austin prole gets a look late late in the draft but beyond that um it, it was kind of um, a, a normal if not you know lesser hyped uh, pro day than what we've seen because i mean last year with mitch trubisky that was huge he had he held a press conference and everything and of course uh I know a lot of y'all covered the um, Marvin Williams. Well, I guess it was not Marvin Williams, Marvin Austin, but that era of um, the Butch Butch Jones or Butch Davis uh, draft era time. So, but that's about all I got to say about that. I mean, other than to get into particulars, uh, that's what I saw. Greg, you've been around them a while, and like Ross said, not really hyped as much um, earlier in the week as it was even last year with Trubisky. But that's how it usually is when you don't have a bona fide first round high pick guy but your thoughts overall yeah for sure and i think the fact that a year removed from having you know, todd mcshay on campus and uh, i don't remember if it was espn or nfl network broadcasting live during mitch's workouts um, there was just a very uh, kind of energetic feel to last year's pro day we've, we've seen a number of those over the years as Ross mentioned, you go back to the 2011 uh, Pro Day, and uh, that was a crazy scene for, for multiple reasons. The fact that they allowed you know, Marvin Austin and Quinn and Greg Little to, to come back and participate, and uh, all those guys were, were you know, highly sought after in terms of their, their draft potential. Uh, and then you've had some years where it's been very quiet. And then you also have years where you have a guy like Quentin Copels who is really such an was an interesting option because he could you know he could really play any position in the front seven it seemed like you know Rex Ryan uh, had him running through linebacker drills you know, Ryan actually was on the field directing those drills which you know we've never seen that before uh, and so you, you've we've seen a lot of head coaches around and it was just kind of very muted on Tuesday I do think the weather played a role in that it was cold it was chilly. Uh, the fact that 
there wasn't as many scouts there. The fact that we weren't able to get on the field and really get a sense of uh, the energy and those types of things all kind of parlayed together into this this a uh, little bit of a, uh, a, a less exciting day, I guess you would say. I don't want to call it a, a down day because it wasn't for some of these kids. But also the fact that you've only got, like Ross said, you've only got really two guys that are um, you, you feel pretty good about being drafted. MJ Stewart will go relatively early. Andre Smith should be a later round pick. And then there's a couple other guys that you uh, maybe they'll get drafted. More likely they'll be your free agent signings. And so that, that kind of leads to some of that atmosphere as well. You know, is when you have that guy that attracts all the head coaches, all the big timers out there, it helps those guys maybe further down the draft boards if they have big days. But Ross clearly didn't happen on Tuesday, but your thoughts on maybe who surprised you? If you had to pick one guy, maybe two, who really brought it and surprised you on, on Carolina's Pro Day Tuesday? Well, I mean, I think the name Austin Prohl is an interesting one to uh, to talk about. He didn't run the 40 because he ran a 4-4-1 about a week ago at this Tampa NFL-sanctioned regional combine invitational. I actually talked to uh, Prohl's agent, did a little reporting uh, for the Inside Carolina subscribers, and he got some scoop on that. Um, just that, you know, he, he ran really well there, 4.41, decided not to run at the UNC Pro Day, did run the L drill and the shuttle run and the 60-yard shuttle because um, the, the scouts wanted him to run those, wanted to see him move. And, you know, he is a guy, his dad was there running him through drills and playing defensive back. Uh, during the passing portion, the, the the passing portion and reception portion of the uh, of the day, and he's a guy who he has talent. He's a he's a great route runner. He's got some speed. He obviously has that pedigree. He kind of I, I guess knows how to be a pro and how to kind of do the business when it comes to to the NFL. So he's a guy that could land with a team and and be one of those sneaky players. So that guy kind of I didn't really think about him going into the day. And kind of came away um, thinking that obviously a team will give him a shot uh, on the practice squad. And he has a chance uh, just with his tools and, you know, what he showed during his UNC career and, and how it was disappointing to see how his senior year ended up. Um, beyond that, you know, I don't think anybody else gets drafted other than the guys we've mentioned so, for, so far. I think Cam Diller is an interesting name. He's got some physical tools. He looked good. He looked big, strong, and obviously cut a little weight so his body wasn't was in good shape for that um rj prince you know talking to some people you know didn't really i guess live up to his potential at unc but his physical tools are just so unmatched in terms of his size his athletic ability his length um it'll be hard not to see him land on the team at some point but i doubt that you know he makes a 52-man roster but you just look at him and you just wonder what could have been with him at unc but he, did, he obviously did play a lot uh, his senior year. So those are some guys that I think are worth mentioning um, in, in a, a day that didn't have that much talent. Greg, a guy like Austin Prohl, I mean, you would think that his father's success and would at least get him some serious looks, not necessarily drafted like Ross said, but, you know, some practice squad looks, some opportunities. I mean, Sure-handed, good route runner receivers. I mean, they're not as dime a dozen as you 
might think. And then the NFL always looking for the wow guys. But your thoughts there, and then your thoughts on other guys out there on Tuesday. Yeah, your parole throughout his UNC career has always been known as the best route runner on the team. Um, and that's one of the reasons, if you go back to 2016 especially, he seemed to always be available for Mitch Trubisky to find him uh, at critical downs. And it's because Mitch was a very good quarterback and the fact that Pro knew how to run routes, uh, he could create some some space. I think the fact that that he ran that 4-4-1, um, and if he can you know, reproduce that for some of these teams and these private workouts that he undoubtedly will have, makes him an attractive option. Because when you have a technical wide receiver like that, who's sure-handed, um, as you mentioned, you know, he's a great route runner, and he's got some speed, yeah, maybe maybe when you add in the pedigree, uh, he's somebody you know, that's going to take a, a, a reach on. And I mean, he had a 34-inch vertical, uh, which I believe was the best of the day for the UNC guys, uh, which which is solid. Uh, you know, he, he is five nine, and you know, at 180 pounds, uh, that that does raise some concerns. He doesn't have the shiftiness that you know Ryan Switcher has that made Switcher so good. But I do think Pro was limited a little bit that in the one year where he, he was going to be the guy uh, because Mac and Bug and Ryan had all moved on, uh, not only does he get hurt, but he's in a situation where you know, he's got young, inexperienced guys trying to throw him the ball in a little bit of time that he did play. And so he's, he was kind of hampered by that. And I think, you know, not to, not to knock on, on Brandon Harris, but Harris was throwing these guys' balls uh, on Tuesday and I think he kind of helped them um, <laughs> by not helping himself. And because what I mean by that is there's a number of throws that he was throwing to both Jordan Cunningham and Austin Pro that were not on the numbers. And so there's a number of times where Austin Pro had to go up high to snag these balls out of the air, even on short passes. And you're watching like, well, okay, that's a pretty good catch. Well, that's not a good catch. That's not an easy one to make. Uh, and so there were several like that. And so he just put together a very good workout. Um, he, he was very solid. And I think that is attractive to a, a lot of teams. You know, he's not going to be some some flashy standout star. But we've seen we've seen New England is a great example of guys is taking you know, slot receivers uh, that can create space, that can grab tough passes that are reliable, that are not going to wow you, that are not going to sign these huge deals. Uh, but they're consistently good. And I think there's enough good offensive coordinators and, and wide receiver coaches in the NFL that that's appealing to, to some guys. And then in terms of you know, other guys, uh, I agree with Ross that you, if you look at R.J. Prince, he had his shirt off compared to you know, Cam Dillard and uh, Khalil Rogers. He looks like a specimen out there. Um, he just looks like there's so much potential, 6'5", 311. But yet when you look at his numbers, I mean, he had 14 reps at 225. Ouch. Dillard and Rodgers both had 29. Uh, vertical jump. I mean, Dillard had 29 and a half. And R.J. Prince was, was at 25 and a half. So the, the appearance, the looks, just don't really match the production either on the field or with some of the, the valuable measurements. Um, and so I'd have a hard time seeing him be picked up even though you know, you're just looking at him it's kind of tempting to want to take a chance on him and then cam dillard like like ross said i think he he looks solid um he's a kid that you know he's good build he's strong 
Uh, he's relatively athletic for his size, and I think that I think he's he's somebody that uh, could end up signing with with the team uh, as a, as a backup center. And you know, if things break his way, he could he could see some playing time. Yeah, one thing you want to add on the the bench press for all us long armed guys out there. It's easy to do a lot of reps when you have short arms like uh, Khalil Rogers and Cam Dillard. I just want to want to throw that out there. And also, because um, it's always a struggle for me, when I'm on the bench, I have such long arms, I can't bench as much. So I feel for the long arm guys out there. Um, and then to add on, Cam Dillard, if he meets with teams, I mean, he is a great guy. I mean, a leader. He's a, he's already a father, married. I mean, he gets in there with some uh, – in some meetings with uh, personnel, NFL, front office guys. He's going to impress them with the type of guy he is. And that will get you some tryouts just because of, you know, what he's shown on tape and and just the, the type of guy he is and type of leader he is. I also think Dewan Drennan could get a chance. Uh, he looked good. He looked big. You know, he has the physical tools. And we were always waiting for him to kind of break out at UNC, and that never happened. Uh, but, you know, these guys will get a shot um, like past UNC players have on practice teams. Um, and to kind of add on to what Greg said, uh, Greg didn't want to bash Brandon Harris. I don't really want to either, but he was throwing some awful balls on uh, on Tuesday to uh, Jordan Cunningham and Austin Prohl. Really low balls on some short things, overthrowing a lot of receivers as well. So he didn't really help himself in the throwing portion of UNC's pro day uh, and kind of added on to the his legend at UNC or lack thereof in terms of just being uh, not very accurate on the, um, on the, in the passing portion. So that was kind of my last notes there. And Bentley Spain did not work out for those interested. I think he's still dealing with some injury uh, issues there. So that was the one guy came in pretty highly touted to UNC for your starter, but for your starter here and there, but did not uh, participate on Tuesday. Greg, you mentioned, or y'all mentioned clear Rogers and that's a guy who, um, I've seen the article on Inside Carolina, but a guy like him, I mean, does he have an opportunity? And you know, I see him similar to maybe R.J. Prince, not the physical specimen of it, but just never got it really got it done. Uh, talk a little bit about him, Greg, but also what do these guys do to prepare for these days? Because you see some guys that come out that are just ripped, they're ready to go. You see other guys that come out that just, you know, look like they haven't played football since the season ended i mean what's the process there for most of them as far as you know well let's start there first what a lot of these guys do as soon as the season is over uh they head off for training and i know you know khalil rogers uh worked with with trey lewis uh andre smith went down to miami worked at a, a training facility and they really just prep uh, for the combine and that is our focus. You know, Khalil Rogers told us that basically he had full days where he'd get up you know, early in the morning, work out for four to five hours, working on different things. Uh, and then he would take a break, go through to a, uh, a masseuse, kind of work some kinks out. And then he'd get into film study and, and work on snaps. Uh, and so they, they put a lot of time and effort into it. And that's, I, I think it's easy for us as media and fans to say, oh, well, as soon as their se- season senior season is done you know that's that's the end of their uh college career but what actually happens is things really ramp up for these guys that have nfl aspirations and so from december whenever the bowl game is or the regular season ends i mean it is non-stop up until the draft 
uh, which is you know either late April or the first week of May. It's late April this year. Uh, and so there's a lot of work that these guys put in. Um, and so you, you talk about a guy like Khalil Rogers, and he, he played a lot at USC. Uh, he had like four different head coaches there. So I think he's played under five head coaches in his college career, which you hate that for, for any kid. Uh, but he, he played center. He played offensive guard, very versatile kid. I mean, if you look at his numbers, his numbers are good. He's dropped 30 pounds since leaving Chapel Hill. He's down to, he's 6'2", 304. As I mentioned, he had 29 reps at, at 225, which is good. Uh, vertical jump was only 25, which is, which is not great. But he also had an 8'10 broad jump, uh, which was, I believe, the best of the, the offensive linemen. So that's a pretty good number. Uh, and in talking with Trey Lewis, his trainer, you know, uh, Evan Cronus actually talked with his trainer. Really, what they were wanting to work on when he he arrived back in January, they said that he's very stiff. So they really had to work on his agility and his mobility and kind of get him back into shape uh, because he, he had a hard time last fall. He was injured some um, and just kind of really struggled throughout that, that final year for him. But I think that the thing that really holds back Khalil, because he does have a lot of interesting – Parts. He's played at two different Power Five schools. He's versatile. He's strong. Uh, is the fact that hey, what happened last August? He, he quit football. And granted, he only quit for two weeks, but he quit. And I think that is something. That's a hurdle that he's going to have to uh, try to manage because once you quit football, that becomes an, an issue for a lot of these NFL teams. Saying hey. Maybe he's not 100% dedicated, and that's the last thing we can have. Uh, and so that's why you, these kids have to really pay attention and, and really think about their decisions. He acknowledges that it was, a, it was a mistake. There were some family situations going on that he wanted to address, felt that was the best way to handle that. Uh, he, he realized soon after that was not the, the appropriate way to handle it. Uh, and so now he's kind of he's paying some, um, some penalty for that. Because he thinks this cost him some invites into some, you know, like senior bowls and things like that, into some combine operations, uh, and so he's going to try to make amends. But that one single mistake uh, very well could could harm his you know, pro future. Yeah, that's the one position where you got to love it uh, because offensive line is no joke. I think if you talk to Chekos and Ingersoll, if you don't love it, you don't last. And uh... So anyway, good to hear that Rogers is trying to get it worked out. We'll see what happens in the NFL draft. Real quick, I'm gonna take a break, but right before break, Ross, give me a round prediction on MJ Stewart and Andre Smith, and then Greg, give me one. I just need two numbers. Uh, second round, MJ Stewart, and then we'll go uh, late seventh round, Andre Smith. Greg. Uh, second round, MJ Stewart, and I'll go sixth round for Andre Smith. All right, we'll have to keep up with that a little bit. Got to have some predictions. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk spring football practice for Carolina. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Ross, spring football, obviously not 
going to culminate in a spring game. We've talked about that a plenty, but some guys are getting better and Ratliff Williams are getting better and all that, but everybody wants to talk about the quarterbacks. Uh, so let's talk about it for a few minutes. Your take on what's going on with the position. I know they say it's open, they're splitting reps and all that, but uh, is this something that'll get figured out before Carolina travels to California um, first game next season, you think? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be super interesting to see how Fedora handles this competition compared to last year. I think last year was, I, th- I don't think he knew what he had with Chaz and, and Elliot and the other guys and Harris to that extent. It was truly wide open for a little while until it got narrowed down to two. I think right now it's down to two, obviously, with uh, Nathan Elliott and Chaz Surratt. Um, and I think the coaching staff, you know, they want Chaz Surratt to be the guy. They think he has the most potential moving forward. He's one year behind Elliott in terms of his eligibility. Um, he, he's a stronger arm in terms of making throws, a better runner. So I mean, all the tools physically and on the field point to Surratt being the guy long term. But then you look to what, Elliot did the last year with his leadership and the team rallying around him and him winning some games late and the players really playing harder for him. And so those are two things to consider um, moving into the 2018 season. I think it will it will go into fall camp. I think, you know, obviously he'll name a quarterback either internally or name it to the media a week or two before the Cal game. Uh, I did not watch them throw yesterday. I know Greg was there. He might have a little better perspective on the technical aspects of their game. But uh, Fedora's not going to tip his cap uh, until a couple weeks or even a week or, you know, the day of uh, the Cal game. That's his style. That's what he's going to do. I don't even think we will get to, we'll get to talk to two quarterbacks this spring, which is an odd thing that UNC does with the media. Um, so there's not much there to go on from the outside looking in. Um, other than kind of going off what we saw last year from those two guys. And honestly, I don't want to be too brutal, but I don't know if this team has a quarterback who can be the man and win them games like they had with Marquise Williams and Mr. Trubisky. I think it's a huge concern. I think they have some really good wide receivers, but they need to be have, have someone who can throw them the ball, and I think that's going to be lacking unless Surratt makes a huge leap, which could happen um, given what we – know about him physically and, and, you know, him going to work in spring break and his focus and just learning from his mistakes last year. Greg, that's a great point by Ross, whether or not there's a quarterback on the roster that can really do what's necessary. We've talked about that. You don't have to be super to have success in Fedora's offense, but I think last year showed that you better be pretty good, consistently good. So your take on the position at this point, I mean, we're a long ways away from September, but then again, it'll be here before you know it. And these guys, somebody on the roster currently, I would think has got to step up. Yeah, and I get those concerns, but but I would say, I mean, if Mitch Trubisky is on last year's teams, his numbers look drastically different than what they did in 2016. And I think the same can be said for Marquise Williams, even though Marquise you know, was a little bit different quarterback. Because while you know, these neither of these quarterbacks have proven to be elite level guys, they were playing behind a banged up offensive line. They were playing with you know, really a hodgepodge of wide receivers, young running backs. And I think it's I think it's tough to draw too much from last year. I mean, if you look at Chaz's numbers early in the year, 
while he had options. Um, I mean, he put up some some pretty impressive games. Was he great? No. But, I mean, his numbers were solid. I think his numbers were good enough to win some of those games. Um, I think you can make the case that uh, that UNC probably should have won the California game. Uh, they had a chance to win Louisville. And the defense was just atrocious in those games. Uh, and so then things kind of spiral out of control. And uh, and by mid-October, when all the injuries had set in, and then you know, Chaz, he was banged up. His confidence was really shattered. Um, and then, you know, he just starts playing really bad. And that leads to Nathan Elliott coming in and kind of reviving things. Uh, and so I think I think Ross's points are are, are valid in that you know, Chaz Surratt has a ways to go. And I think a lot of that is leadership. And that's where Nathan Elliott really shined late in the year. It was kind of like, look, as bad as this year is, and we've got 21 or 22 guys out for this particular game, let's rally together and do what we can. And Elliott took that approach. His teammates rallied around him. And there's there's validity in that too. And so I think it really becomes a situation where you have Chasserat, who does have more potential. But you have Nathan Elliott, who is apparently a better leader at this point in their career. I mean, and I thought it was interesting last year. I asked Fedora late in the year about everybody rallying around Elliott. He, he kind of just brushed it off. So, well, you know, Elliott's been in the program a lot longer. That's why guys kind of gravitate to him more. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think Elliott's only a year older than, than Chaz. Uh, so I, I don't know that that's an accurate reflection, but that's, that's coach speak as, as we're used to Larry here using. And so I don't know that this is a, a deal where Surratt's got it wrapped up. I do think he has better long-term potential. I think he's got a, a bigger arm um, and he's got just a better skill set. But he has to prove that he can be the leader UNC needs to have. I mean, after the Virginia Tech game last year, we got to talk to Chaz. Uh, and there was nothing uh, encouraging, optimistic coming from you know, his, his words. And I know a lot of people say, well, you just got your, your butt kicked. Of course you're not going to be happy. But all the really good quarterbacks that I've covered at UNC, I mean, dating back to TJ Yates, I mean, North Carolina had some bad losses early in his career, and TJ is in there. Yep, you know what? I messed up, but all my guys around me, they did a pretty good job. And so I've just got to elevate my play so that everybody else can can kind of maximize their potential, and then we'll start winning some games. And we heard that week after week. Well, we, we didn't hear that from Chaz at all. And to me, that spoke volumes about his maturity, kind of his leadership at that point in time. And so I think that's something that he's really got to work on. And from from all accounts, He's making strides in that area. And a lot of that's personal confidence. Once you're confident in yourself, then you can start kind of showing that outwardly. Um, Elliot clearly has a, has a better grasp of that. At least he did at the end of last year. Uh, but he's got to make those amends you know, with, with his games and live up to and play up to a, a kind of closer to his potential than Surratt necessarily does, if that makes sense, just because yeah. Surratt has a higher ceiling. Yeah, and to add to that, I mean, I think Greg touched on some great points with with Chaz's personality and how he conducts himself around his teammates and the media. I mean, Marquise Williams was a incredible personality. His teammates loved him. His coaches loved him. The media loved him. It was vibrant. And so, I mean, it was just a more positive experience for everyone. You know, he took credit. Uh, you know, he took blame. He took credit. He was, it was a joy to be around, and it was fun, and that – 
was a big part of that 2015 season. Obviously, had a lot more talent than UNC had. And then the next year, 2016, you know, Mitch Trubisky wasn't as good with the media. He didn't give us as much, but his player, his teammates loved him. And he was, he was the guy. Everybody had his back. He had their back. He was, I mean, you could just tell, you know, he was boys with the whole team. And you did not see that um, in 2017. Surratt was obviously a lot younger. Um, and, and then Surratt, it, I mean, I don't want to like say that the media is super important, but how you carry yourself in the public can have a big impact on how you're perceived by fans, perceived by coaches, perceived by players, and just giving more and, you know, yeah, like taking credit or taking blame or, you know, showing support for your teammates or highlighting the good things and the bad things and just, you know, being a more personable thing, I think can go a long way in how you're perceived by the public and by the general, um, you know, whatever, the, the team and et cetera. You see it in basketball all the time. I mean, Joel Berry, Marcus Page, Theo Pinson, those guys are loved because of of how they are, um, how, how good they are with the media, how good they are with their teammates, how they make it uh, so fun to um, to cover and to be a part of that team and in that locker room and, and as teammates. And that, I think, goes a long way um, to, to who you are as a person and, and you know, your future and, and everything like that. So a couple, a uh, little rant there on uh, no, I mean, the future. I think – I absolutely Tom, agree. Say this. I think with, I think with Marquise, everybody saw his affable uh, personality. He was so boisterous and outgoing, and everybody picks up on that. Mitch didn't give us anything, but there was no doubt by anybody that talked to him that he was an alpha. I mean, he knew he was good. He was confident. You could ask him pointed questions, kind of questioning certain things, and he'd kind of you know, chuckle, get like, kind of a little gleam in his eye. He knew he was good. Uh, and so there are two different leadership styles, but both are effective. There's not one leadership style that works, but you know, I think Chaz has to figure out what works for him, what's best for him, and then you, everybody can kind of adapt to that. I, I think what y'all are talking about, I think is absolutely valid. I, and I was going to ask, which comes first, the the love and adoration or the performance? And I think for somebody like Marquise, people liked him before he even really started playing really well at times. And then Trubisky, everybody knew he was really good. So they, they grow to like you no matter what. But I, I think, and Greg, I'll ask you this. I think that your teammates have to like you at least in college, I think, because everybody's still moody and you're still 18 to 22, 23 years old. I mean, so how do you, how do you do that as a, as a Chas Surratt or even a Nathan Elliott? I mean, you have to have trust and, and they have to have faith in you, but they also have to like you. And so you're in a situation where you haven't played well yet, um, at least later in the season, that Virginia tech game, I mean, that guy got killed, but rarely do you see a kid that at least appeared to not want to be there more than Chas Surratt did at times in that Virginia tech game. So Greg, how tough is it for, it will say Surratt to to get to that point where his teammates have full faith and full trust in him, and then he does as well with what he can do. Well, I don't think it starts in games, and I don't think it starts in practice. I think it starts at a very elementary level, and that is you know during the off season when you're getting up and you're you're going to throw balls, or you're going to the weight room, or whatever. And I think your point about people growing to like you. Uh, when you're good, 
that's true. But I think it also goes, it works whether or not you're good or not. I mean, what I mean by that is there's a lot of like walk-ons on the, on the basketball team, for example, who Joe Barry and Theo Pinson and Marcus Page absolutely love. Um, and the, one of the reasons is those guys bust their tail. Now, they may not have the height. They may not have the quickness. They may not be able to, to live up to the potential of some of these other guys. But in terms of giving it their all, they are at 100% capacity. And when you see somebody working their butt off like that and they're trying to get better and they want to get better and they want to help the team, you grow to like them. Um, and so that takes place long before anything that occurs on the practice field and long before anything that occurs in the games. And so that's where leadership starts at a very base fundamental level. Um, and, you know, coaches know that the players know that Chaz has played enough competitive sports. He understands that. And so that's where it begins. And then it's got to matriculate over. That's why I say last year, you could tell, you could see his confidence just shatter as the season went along. Uh, and when your own personal confidence, you know, kind of falls apart that makes it tough to be this big alpha you know, leadership guy um and that that's the tough and that was part of the concern coming in last year right i mean we we talked about on this podcast before the season started the plan was for brandon harris to come in and start for a year because the guys behind him needed another year of seasoning that did not happen we see what what played out uh, and so I mean, you got to give the coaching staff credit. They went after grad transfer. They got the best one they thought they could get. It just did not pan out. Uh, and so now you're kind of having to, to put the pieces back together. And that's what this off season, this spring is really about. We won't see what type of leader Chaz has become until we get through summer workouts and we get through the grind of training camp and we get into that first week leading up to that cow game. But, you know, what are his teammates saying about him then? And I think that's going to tell us a lot. And let's remember, he was a redshirt freshman last year. And Marquise and Mitch, you know, they were juniors and seniors when they took over at UNC. So that, I mean, that's something to be said about that, that he can't build those, Chaz can't build those deep, you know, meaningful friend relationships with guys he hasn't been around with that long. But, you know, making those strides now as a redshirt sophomore and junior uh, will be huge. It'll be interesting to see the the maturation, the progression that he takes. Because I think I think we all agree, maybe he's got to be the guy. Even though I, I like how Nathan Elliott came in and got it done to a certain extent, but I think for Carolina to be as good as they maybe hope they can be, I think Surratt's the one. Real and, quick, and Elliott's. A, I mean, Elliott's a great backup. I mean, that's a great backup to have a guy who's competing for the starting job, a guy who's won games, a guy who is you know, in there with the locker room and, and has a lot of friends on the team. I mean, he's a good, a good guy to have there in the room, a selfless guy that I think fans should, you know, it should be, it's a good thing that he's there and he, he could be the backup. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's, I think it's important for us too not to just completely dismiss the opportunity for Elliot to win the job. And I say that because we've talked about it on this podcast before. If you go back to Fedora's first year as offensive coordinator at Middle Tennessee state back, I think in 99, West Counts could not throw the ball to the field side. He just did not have a strong enough arm. But Fedora built that offense around that flaw and maximized his strengths while minimizing his weaknesses. And what happened? 
West Counts, his second year in the program, led the nation in completion percentage. So just because you're not this NFL prototype quarterback that can't make all the throws, that doesn't mean you can't be productive. And that's one of the reasons that Fedora has had so many good offenses over the years because he's able to tailor make this offense to fit the quarterback that he has. You know, there, there's been some some pitfalls. You know, last year when you have so many injuries and some young guys, uh, it kind of falls apart on you. But if you can get all the pieces pretty solid and then have a decent quarterback, he doesn't have to be great, but just decent, good, then you can have success. Greg Barnes' go-to stat right there. West Counts gets as much play as any <laughs> non-Tar Heel ever on this podcast. But I've, I've never, t- I've never heard that name before. <laughs> I've never heard that name before. He has my name on his shirt. I'm his sponsor. Get used to it, Ross. You will hear it again, I'm sure. Let's Real quick, we're going to get out of here. Uh, Ross, give me a head turner or something that surprised you this spring. Football related. Uh, I mean, I think there's a lot. there should be a lot of excitement about the sophomores and freshmen on offense and on defense. Uh, yesterday, Fedora. He kind of went out of his way to say that Jordan Adams is going to begin running for punt returner and that Diami Brown is going to be considered for kickoff returner. I think if Adams makes it to UNC, you know, he could be drafted pretty high in the MLB draft and then enter the, the baseball ranks. But if those two guys um, are you know, on, the, on the team in uh, September, I think they're going to be big-time impact players from day one. Heard some great things about Diami Brown already as a January enrollee. Um, and then CJ Cotman is a name that he brought up yesterday, Fedora brought up yesterday. I think there's a, a lot of young talent, Daz Newsom as well. I think those young guys are going to start taking over um, and being the playmakers for UNC um, behind an Anthony Ratliff-Williams and, and those uh, you know veteran receivers. Greg, Ross took the young route. Give me some veterans that have been there a while that may surprise or have surprised this spring. Wow, let's see. Well, I think the fact that, that Dom Ross, I don't know that he's necessarily an old guy, uh, but he's a guy who has kind of solidified a, a spot in the linebacker rotation. Um, I know Cole Holcomb is out this spring, but Dom has, has really kind of excelled there alongside of Jonathan Smith. I think that's that's critically important. you got to have some depth, and we knew that was an issue. Uh, so, so Ross is a guy for sure. Uh, and then I think the fact that you know J.K. Britt has – has really stepped up uh, as a leader. He, he's got he speaks with such authority anyway, uh, but he stepped up as a leader in that defensive backfield when there's so many young guys there. I think that's critically important because you know Miles Dorn uh, is kind of growing into a leadership role, but I think with Britt being being the old guy back there, uh, that's he's he's a big hitter. We know that, uh, but he's also very cerebral, and I think I think that's a, a key element. And then of course you've got you know, Malik Carney who the issue, if you talk to, talk to Fedora, talk to Deke Adams issue last year's, he was very productive. He just, you, there was a disconnect between him uh, getting in the backfield and getting a player down, whether it be a cornerback or a quarterback or, or running back or whatever. Um, so it's, it's finalizing the play. You're not just being disruptive, not just getting into the backfield, but actually creating havoc when you do that. Uh, and so they think he can make that next step. I think that's going to be critically important, especially you know, with Tawan Fox on the other side. If you stick with that, those two, um, and that you know, doesn't include Tyler Powell, I'm aware, 
but those are two speed rushers. And so if you can get production on either side, and at least consistent production from, from Carney, Fox has so much athletic potential that maybe you're going to have some success that we haven't seen them have on the edges, and it seems like a long, long time. I, I think UNC safeties, like Greg said, are going to be, are going to be really good. I think the cornerbacks can be pretty solid as well with Sales, Cotman, and Patrice Rene. I think that's going to be a strength along with the defensive line. I have huge concerns for the linebacker group. Um, but I think the, the front end and the back end of the defense could, could have some really, uh, a really good season just knowing what they have back there and the experience a lot of those guys already have underneath their belt. Good stuff, guys. I know we were a day late getting this recorded. Appreciate y'all's patience. I know our listeners will enjoy hear from, hearing from you whenever it happens. Uh, but Greg Ross, appreciate it, man. Y'all take care. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.